Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two. And my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I introduce some more content around the idea of emotional intelligence, specifically around awareness of others. This is our fourth content episode for season two, and also happens to be the fourth content episode of our Synergen curriculum ecosystem. As I mentioned in the introduction for the episode Emotional Intelligence Awareness of Self, the whole idea of AI is becoming more and more accepted as a critical component of effective leadership and management. And today's episode, we're going to look at how being more aware of others impacts our leadership. During the episode, I introduced a simple process which looks at the links between behaviours, emotions, actions and outcomes. I also make some distinctions between social awareness and relationship management. I weave in the value of recognising emotional cues as a leader. And I end the episode with the idea of psychological safety and what it really means in practice. So keep listening. And as always, we'd really like to hear your thoughts about emotional intelligence, awareness of others. And if there are any leadership or management ideas or content that you would like me to explore on the show, please send me through an email or a LinkedIn message. Now on with the show. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Well, here we are again. Great to be back and excited to be doing and recording the second episode related to emotional intelligence, where what we're going to do in this episode is explore the awareness of others. So it is, again, it's another, it's another content curriculum ecosystem episode for you. And I want to get straight into it because in the previous emotional intelligence episode, I gave you some background about emotional intelligence, so I don't need to rehash all of that. So I want to get straight into it and what I'd like you to do, and again, if you're in the car, it's going to be a little bit difficult, but if you do, can grab a pen and piece of paper. I think there's some value in being able to work through these activities as as I talk through the ideas. And I think one of the ways that we can start to recognize others is we can start to think back on the experiences that we've had, particularly in terms of the types of leaders that we have worked for in the past. So I think it's always very easy for us to identify when have we worked for a good leader or someone we considered a good leader and when have we worked for someone who we consider a bad leader. So for me, I can think very clearly that someone like Ray, who was a very, very uh, influential leader that I had contact with in my sort of very formative leadership years, he very much fits into the, the good category. And then I think about Dion, who I think fits into the bad category. You know, Dion was not someone that I would say demonstrated the leadership traits that I wanted to be. And probably to an extent, I probably demonstrate the dead opposite leadership traits because here I classify him as, as, as that bad leader. You know, so I think it's really interesting if you think back, you know, who, who's a good leader that you've worked for, who's a, who's a bad leader that you've worked for, and enables you to very quickly 
uh, make sense of this. So what I'd like you to do is two columns again on your piece of paper if you've got a handy. And I'd like you to good leader at the top, bad leader on the top on each side of the columns. And the first thing I'd like you to think about, what are some of the behaviors of a good leader? What are the behaviors that you're seeing? Is it the way they speak to people? Is it the way they uh, hold themselves? Is it the way that they conduct themselves in a presentation? What are the behaviors that you see? Do you see them get in and get their hands dirty? Do they lead by example? What do they do? What are the behaviors of a good leader? And then I'd like you to think about well, what are the behaviors of a bad leader? You know, they I mentioned in the episode around awareness of self, the impact of bullying and, and how it's a trigger for me. So what does a bad leader do? Do they bully? Do they discriminate? So I really just want you to start exploring these behaviors because I think the behaviors are the things we need to start to look for and start to recognize. And it makes us better leaders when we can start to pick up on those behaviors. So what I'd like you to then think about, what are some of the emotions that you experience when the leaders behave that way? So start with the good. So if you have a leader that demonstrates and behaves in a way where they're providing feedback, how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel valued? Does it make you feel appreciated? Does it make you feel inspired? Does it make you feel engaged? What are the feelings that you experience when a, a good leader behaves in a certain way. And then conversely, on the other side, what are the emotions you feel when a leader behaves in a bad way? So if a leader is condescending to you, if they're dismissive of you, how does that make you feel? What are you experiencing? And again, I'm asking you to think of this from a very personal perspective because even though this, this episode is about the awareness of others, we need to understand these, these things. We need to understand how others can impact us. And we need to understand what others might be going through because it's essentially what you will do is you might act and behave in a certain way that's going to have potentially an emotional reaction on the people that are around, that are around you, whether it be the people that report directly to you, whether it be the people that are just colleagues and peers, whether it be the manager you report to, you're going to have impact on others and starting to recognize those impacts is important. And so when you, when you realize that you're feeling a certain way, what, what sort of actions does that lead to? So if you're feeling disengaged, as an example, what does that lead to? Does it lead to a loss of productivity? Does it lead to a loss of attention to detail? Does it lead to the, you know, that you start to go on to seek and look for a role elsewhere? What, what, what actions happen when you see a leader act in a good way or a bad way? Now, the final part of this is the outcomes. So you see a leader act in a particular way, demonstrate a particular behavior that leads you to some sort of emotional reaction to that sort of behavior. That emotional reaction leads you to some type of action. That action leads you to some type of outcome. So what are those outcomes? What is the business result of those outcomes? What are the personal results of those outcomes? And so... What I'm hoping that you're able to do is, as we talk through this process is just start to think about understanding those around us, understanding why they do what they do or may do what they do and starting to understand if we react a certain way, there's a chance, there's a potential that 
people around us will also react a certain way because some things make us universe. We, we can share with other people. We can share the same emotion. If, if you think about, you know, five friends who all, all win some sort of competition together, they're all going to be experiencing joy or happiness even though they are five different individuals. So we can have this idea of group behavior and group emotion. And so if we can start to understand that through understanding ourselves, that's going to allow us to better understand those around us, better understanding of others, going to enable us to be better leaders. And ultimately, that's the reason why I thought I wanted to do the episode on emotional intelligence was because I'm a big believer that this can make you a better leader. So hopefully that first little activity of behaviors, emotions, actions, outcomes, it's just giving you a little bit of a sense of what to start to look for. Now, if you remember back to the first episode on emotional intelligence, which was about four episodes ago, we spoke about an emotional intelligence quadrant. And on the left-hand side, we had self, and that was broken down into two portions, which was self-awareness and self-management. On the right-hand side, which is where we're working today, it's about others. And that comes into two parts. So it's about social awareness and then relationship management. So I want to explore a few key topics in each of those quadrants. So social awareness is really the awareness of the feelings, needs, and concerns of others. So if you think of that from a leadership perspective, if you don't have that, if you are not concerned with the feelings, needs, and concerns of others, my prediction is that you will not be very effective as a leader over the long term. You might have some very short-term success. You might have. I'm not saying you will. I'm saying you might. But over the long term, you are not going to be able to retain your staff. People are not going to respect you. People are not going to like you. People are not going to put in any discretionary effort if you have no awareness of the feelings, needs, and concerns of others. So within that first quadrant, this idea of empathy becomes really important. Sensing others' feelings and perspectives and taking an active interest in their concerns. So what sort of empathy levels do you show, do you demonstrate? Remember the behaviours activity we just did? It's about what sort of empathy do you demonstrate? I'd like you to be also thinking about the idea of organisational awareness, which is reading the group's emotional currents and power relationships. So business is, by its very nature, hierarchical. As much as many organizations say they are not and they try to get rid of the org charts and they put upside down org charts and sideways org charts and things like that, essentially in any business, there is a hierarchy. And some organizations make it very clear that they're trying to be as flat as possible to limit the number of middle managers, but there is still a hierarchy. And so within that hierarchy, there's, there's emotional currents and there's power relationships and even in peer relationships, there's power relationships. You might have an executive team of five and one of those executives is far more dominating than the others in that executive team. So if you think about it, there's all these power relationships. And look, it exists in my business as well. I'm not naive enough to think that it doesn't. So I'll give you an example because I do think that the emotional intelligence piece that we're doing here requires a level of sharing so we have three directors in Synergy Group, myself, Kate, and Chris. 
myself, Kate and Chris are all very different individuals, very, very different individuals. And depending on what we're talking about and where we're going, there's a natural shift in the power relationship. I'll give you an example. So if we talk about sales and marketing, generally that fits within my domain. And so what will happen, the, 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 if we're talking about that as directors, even though we're at the same level, the power shift will lean to me because that's where I put a lot of my efforts, that's where I put a lot of my focus, that's my passion, and that, that tends to be where I add value. But likewise, we're also a registered training organization. And so what will happen there is the power shifts again and leans towards Kate because Kate has ultimate responsibility for the RTO side of the business. She's the one that drives that. And so it ebbs and flows depending on the topics of conversation. But I think what we do is we actually acknowledge that those power shifts are going and we do it in a way where we will say, yep, we'll express our opinions, but we also know that we're all going towards the same goal, but we just have different focuses. So there's a power shift there. And then when you add in Chris, who's the third director in the business, he tends to have a different approach again. And so we lean towards him. And because he's coming from a lean perspective, that's his skill set in terms of the the one of the biggest values he brings to Synergy and his, his knowledge and experience about Lean Six Sigma is that Kate and I will naturally defer to him to a certain extent when he's talking about that area of expertise. So every business has power relationships, which I believe move and shift based on the topic of conversation and the depth of relationship you have with the other people in those relationships. So I'd also like to think about in this quadrant of social awareness, this idea of service orientation. That is anticipating, recognizing, and meeting your customers' needs. So in business, we are there to serve the customer. That is the fundamental premise of business is to provide a service, provide a product to our customers so that our customers have a good experience, they get the outcome they're looking for, they get the outcome they're looking for, they come back, they buy more, they purchase more. So this is the this is the way all business operates. This is the way all business operates. And so when we're coming to this idea of social awareness, we need to understand this in relation to our customers. So that's the social awareness quadrant. What we also have is this idea of relationship management. And that is the ability or skill to get desirable responses in others. So the first thing I'd like you to consider is how do you go about developing others in your teams? So that's where you sense what their development needs are and you bolster their abilities, that you increase their capability, that you put effort and time into them so they can become better versions of themselves. If they become better versions of themselves, they're going to provide better service, better better input into what it takes for your team to be successful. So it makes perfect sense to put some effort into people so they reciprocate that effort and put it back into the work that they're doing. I'd like you to think about, are you an inspirational leader? Do you try to inspire and guide individuals and groups? Now, I'm not saying everyone should go out there and say, hey, I'm an inspirational leader. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I don't think that's what an inspirational leader does. I think what an inspirational leader does is they set the tone. They take people on the journey with them. They encourage people to buy into the journey. They adjust the journey if a better idea comes along. And it's just about this idea of being the best you can be. And if you can be the best you can be, the best version of yourself, by very default, that's going to be inspiring to certain people. 
I'd like you to think about this idea of being a change catalyst, someone who can lead change, drive change, manage change, someone who can really, really be effective at change. We know the world's changing very quickly, the business world's changing. We've got to be able to keep up with that. I'd like you to think about your level of influence when it comes to relationship management. How effective are you at influencing those around you? This is particularly relevant for people that are in leadership roles where they do not have direct reports. So this can quite often happen to safety professionals or HR professionals where they do not have direct reports, but they have a very important role to play. So their role becomes about influence, becomes about positioning and how they can influence those around them to get that outcome they're looking for. How do you manage conflict? So how do you navigate through disagreements? That's another key component of relationship management. And how do you focus on building the team and collaboration towards shared goals? How do you know that they're all working towards the same end? Do they even know what end they're working towards? So that's the, that's the bottom quadrant, so relationship management. So again, this episode's really focused on others, which is the social awareness and the things that we spoke about there, and now relationship management and the things we just spoke about then. So one of the things that we need to consider uh, when we're looking to get a sense of awareness of others is this idea of emotional cues. That is that we have the ability to recognize and respond appropriately to these emotional cues. And it's not always easy, but there are a couple of things, a couple of signs that you can look out for. Language. I'm going to ask you to be try to be sensitive to the language that individuals use. People might not often state the emotion they're feeling, but they can give you verbal clues. So they might not say, I feel anxious about my ability to complete the task. But they might say, that deadline is ridiculous. So they're giving you a clue through their language. Body language is another place where you can potentially recognize some of these emotional cues. So facial expressions often give us strong ones. We all recognize smiles. We all recognize when someone rolls their eyes. But I would like you to go a bit further and think about how people are sitting, how they're standing, how they're moving. Are they are they standing confidently? Are they sitting back, relaxed, or are they edge of their seat? Do they appear distracted? These are all the emotional cues you can start to try to pick up on. I'd like you to think about work performance. It's another emotional cue. So if there is a change in work performance from someone who is generally very, very good at what they do and achieves a certain level of performance, if they suddenly drop, that's a pretty good indicator. Something is going on. Don't necessarily know what, but something's going on. So look for those cues. Team interactions is another area where you can start to recognize these emotional cues. It can be helpful to be aware of team dynamics and team interactions because if they change, if one person dominating the conversation, are they having a negative or positive influence? Is one member withdrawing from team discussions? So you might have someone that has something vital to say, something extremely relevant but because they don't feel comfortable in that team dynamic, they're not going to say it. So as a leader, you're missing out on it. So I'm going to encourage you to start to think about how are the people in your team interacting with each other. Another thing you can look for is this idea of changing personal behaviors. So if someone's normally always on time or always five minutes later and they always start coming in late, is that a cue for something that's going on? Have they started avoiding work-related social events? These are 
all the things we need to be looking for. But I do want to give you a few words of caution because whilst I'm a big believer that having this sense of emotional intelligence and looking to understand yourself and to others is a great thing as a leader, I think we also need to recognize our place in all of this and potentially our limitations in all of this. So the first word of caution we'd like to give you is when it does come to personal matters, please, please, please respect the privacy of others and maintain confidentiality. There's nothing worse than someone having a private conversation and all of a sudden the whole, the whole company knows. I'd also like you to remember that you're not a trained counsellor unless you are a trained counsellor. So generally most people in leadership roles are not trained counsellors, but there might actually be a trained counsellor listening to the podcast. So if you are, that's okay. But the majority of leaders were not trained counsellors. So we can do our best, but remember you're not trained counsellor in that way. I'm going to encourage you to be wary of assumptions that you might make about how others will react. You might expect that people are going to react a certain way, then all of a sudden they don't. So I want you to be wary of any assumptions you might make. I'd like I'd like you to encourage you to not spe- speculate about what others might be thinking or feeling based on emotional cues you observe, because we can always misinterpret the signs. When we talk about body language in the leadership programs we, we run, we always talk about the arms folded piece, because arms folded in a training sense, can mean a couple of things. And if you look at it on its own, you might get it wrong. Quite often people will say that arms folded in a training setting means that person is closed off, standoffish, disinterested. Well, it could mean those things. could also mean that that person is cold because the temperature is not right. It could also mean that that's a really comfortable position for that particular person. So this is why we've got to be careful We've got to be looking for more than just one emotional cue and we've got to just be checking with ourselves, are we misinterpreting this? Are we getting the right image? Are we getting the right message? And the final thing I'd like to caution you about is this idea of being judgmental. Judgment doesn't get us anywhere in a leadership context. So we need to be thinking, making sure that we're not being judgmental based on our own bias, based on our own perception, which may or may not be correct. So there's just a few words of caution when it comes to recognizing emotional cues. So the big five things, I'll just recover them for you because I think they're important, is listen to the language people are using. Try to pick up on their body language. What are you noticing them about the way they walk, the stand, interact? What are you noticing about their work performance? Has something changed? I'd like you to think about what sort of team reaction interactions are they having? So in other words, what is the, the relationship dynamics between team members? And is there suddenly a change in personal behavior? If you're using those five points as a, as a framework, a reference framework, I think you're going to be better equipped to start to recognize these emotional cues which people are giving you, which indicate what they're going through in terms of what emotions are they experiencing and how they're going through those emotions. So in the episode that we did on emotional intelligence, awareness of self, we did a little activity where we asked you to look at strengths and weaknesses, and then I asked you three questions around each one. Well, I think there can be some real value in starting to look at this from the people that report to you as well. So I'm going to ask you to choose a couple of people that report to you that you have 
uh, known known quite well. Not someone that's just joined your team. Or and if you don't have direct reports, I'd like you to think about it either sideways from a peer or colleague. Or if you like, you can look upwards at your manager. I'm comfortable. However, you do it. And it's this idea of looking at strengths and weaknesses from an emotional perspective. So same three questions as last time. So for the strengths, it's why is it a strength? So what's the strength and why? Second question is how is that strength demonstrated? And the third question is how are you going to use it? How are you going to use it for team betterment? How are you going to use it to get a better result for the team and the people in the team? And then the flip to that is what and why have you put as an emotional weakness? I want you to think about how is it demonstrated? So how does it play out? What are, the, what are the signs? And how are you going to avoid the negative impact of this? It's a very similar activity to what we asked you to do on yourself. Now I'd like to encourage you to do it on those around you. And again, if you're in the car, it's going to be a little difficult. But if you're listening to it on the train or you're at work, just take a moment, just jot down a couple of things. Because what this is going to do is give you insight. It's going to give you insight. Now, your insight might be wrong. It might be right. I don't know. It might be flawed. It might be 100% accurate. But you've started the journey of trying to gain this insight. And if you are started the journey on how to gain this insight, it's going to allow you to consider your approach. How are you going to get the most out of people? And when you're dealing with strengths in people, you want people to play to your strengths. You can keep trying to get them to focus on their weaknesses. You can keep trying to embed them into doing something they don't want to be doing. And I can tell you now, my experience has led me to believe that the way we get the best results are if we play to people's strengths. So I'm going to encourage you to play to their strengths. If you know what they are, play to those strengths. Mitigate the weaknesses, of course. But what I'd really like you to do is play to those strengths. Another thing I'd like you to consider is how are you going to encourage a culture of emotional intelligence? So how are you going to get the people in your team and the people around you being part of this? How are they going to start to develop their own levels of emotional intelligence? Because if you've got everyone playing the same game, if you've got everyone on the same journey, on the same path, in the same bus, on the same taxi, whatever metaphor you want to use, but if we're all in it together, you're going to get a better result for the team. So a couple of things I'd like you to consider. The first is set a good example by your own behaviors and actions. If you're doing something which may not be leading to a great result, stop it. It's a very simple model that we teach. It's stop, start, continue framework. It's about identifying the things that you're doing which you shouldn't be doing and you stop those. It's about identifying the things that you, sh- you should be doing that you're not, so you start those. And then it's about identifying the things that you should be doing that you are doing and you continue those. So stop, start, continue, very simple little model. And that's the way you set a good example by your behaviors and actions. I'd like you to act with integrity at all times, and that's in accordance with both your values and the values of your organization. I'm a big believer that those two need to be aligned. And look, we do need to acknowledge the role that emotions play. They, and sometimes they can work for us in the workplace, but sometimes they work against us. And the reality of this is that people just can't switch off their emotions. The odd person can, but the majority of us people, we just can't switch off our emotions. So we need to acknowledge they exist. 
I'd like to encourage you to establish a culture of trust where individuals feel safe to acknowledge their emotions without fear. They're going to be judged or penalised. I'm going to talk about that shortly. I'm going to talk a bit more about uh, psychological safety. And I'd always like you to think about the language that you're using. So are you using appropriate language that encourages and supports people around you? Are you really supporting the people around you? It's a big question. Look, the, the final thing that I, I wanted to talk about in this, this podcast is this idea of psychological safety. And it's something which I believe is vital to the success of any team, any business. And it's something which the big guns, organizations such as Google, Harvard Business Review, they've all gone into and studied it, experienced it, and thought about what can we do to make it happen. Way back when, uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson, a professor at Harvard Business School, coined the term psychological safety. And she defined it as a climate in which people are comfortable being and expressing themselves. Her research has confirmed that psychologically safe environments predict quality improvements, learning behavior, and productivity. Now, if you ask any senior leader at a business, do they want quality improvements, people being able to learn better, and productivity? I think there's only one answer, and the answer is a resounding yes. So I think that in itself gives us a reason to be thinking about, are we creating a culture of psychological safety? Because what it does is it enables employees to be engaged. They can take risks and experiment. They can express themselves without the fear of failure or retribution. And if you compare this to a type of culture where employees are too intimidated to speak up or share a new idea, it's hard to imagine that those employees are mentally allowing themselves to be engaged at work. It just doesn't happen. So Dr. Edmondson has a, has a TED Talk, and I know a lot of people are big fans of the TEDx Talks, and she talks about three paths leaders can follow to create psychological safety in their organization. The first is you frame work as a learning problems as opposed to execution problems. And so what that means is you make it explicit that there is enormous uncertainty ahead and enormous interdependence. So you've got to be clear that there are areas that still require explanation and there's areas that still require each team member's input. So in other words, we need to try to get everyone involved. She also talks about this idea of acknowledging your own uh, fallibility, which is, you know, I might miss something, but, you know, if you can help me find that, that's great, or I need to hear from you. And you also model curiosity by asking a lot of questions. There's also another another approach to psychological safety, which I've seen used quite well, and that is based on a Google experiment uh, that was done called part of Project Aristotle. And if you're interested in learning more about that, uh, New York best-selling author uh, Charles Duhigg wrote about it. And one of the things he talks about is that Google were trying to find out what made the perfect team. And they looked at a whole range of scenarios, whether it was education, it was gender, it was age, it was work experience. And they really tried to find out what, what constitutes a perfect team. And they really struggled to come to a conclusion until the end which is where they determined that psychological safety was what determined the perfect team. And the reason being that they felt there are two things which allowed those people in those teams to get the best out of each other and perform the best. 
The first was the EI side of things, which is social awareness. And that is where we spoke earlier today about being empathetic to others. So it's not just noticing that someone's going through something, but it's actually asking them, are you okay? It's actually, is there anything I can do to help? So it's actually the two-part process. It's noticing something's not up, but actually doing something about it. So you could say it's action-based empathy. You could say it's taking action around what you've noticed, but it's about are they, have you noticed it and have you done something about what you've noticed? And the second thing the Google study showed was that what they call conversational turn-taking. And what it meant is that all the people in the team had the opportunity to speak. Everyone had the time and the trust to speak their mind, what they're thinking. It's like Amy Evans said that they didn't feel that there was, they were going to be made to feel that they put together a bad idea or they didn't have the fear of failure or retribution. They felt as though they were comfortable expressing themselves. So you put those things together and you combine it with some of the stuff from Dr. Evanson, you're going to have a pretty wonderful environment where you're going to be able to drive quality improvements, learning behavior and productivity, which all leaders want. All teams want those things. So if you can use these techniques in terms of looking to build a psychologically safe environment, culture within your team, I think you're going to be really well placed. So on that note, I'm going to say goodbye again. Happy for you to email me directly, julian at syngengroup.com.au if you're interested in getting some of the content that we've put together. And again, this makes up another episode of our uh, curriculum ecosystem. So it mirrors very much some of the content we deliver in our face-to-face programs. So until next time, bye for now. Well, that wraps up episode 66 of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast, another curriculum ecosystem content episode for you. I'd like you to encourage you to head on over to the Synergy Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about this particular episode, tell us who you'd like us to interview, or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free to head over to the Apple site and leave us a review. It really helps us in spreading awareness of the podcast. In next week's episode, I speak with Daryl Hardidge, who is the author of The Ten Commandments of Client Appreciation. It's another great author interview. Till then, love to hear what you think. Happy listening. <laughs>